Good morning. Everyone doing okay this morning? Amen. Well, as we continue our worship now through the preaching of God's Word, please grab your Bibles. We will be in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 9 this morning, verses 1 through 8. Matthew 9, 1 through 8, and... Uh, even though most of you may know me, um, I do notice some of the new faces. Um, my name is Amel Dominguez, and I was sent to Haleiva from this church. And uh, so this morning, actually, Pastor Dan is preaching at, at my church. And uh, he, he asked me if he can do that, and I've been wanting him to see the church, so I jumped all over the opportunity uh, for him to be there. And this morning, it is my joy to deliver God's word here at Hawaii Kai Church through the preaching now of his most sacred word. We're in Matthew 9, 1 to 8. The title of our sermon this morning is Jesus Christ is Mighty to Save. Jesus Christ is Mighty to Save. And it says there, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rise, and he rose, and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Let's pray. Lord, as we enter into this time now, of worshiping through the preached word, I just ask, God, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see the greatness and the glory of Christ, that we would not be distracted by the miracle, but we would be, Lord, moved by your favor, by your grace, by your willingness to save sinners like us. And so, Lord, please bless now your word. We pray this now in your son's name. Amen. I was at my aunt's funeral last week in California, and it was freezing over there. Um, they laugh that I say that when Hawaii hits 60, the 60s, that it's cold. And uh, they were in the 30s. That's quite cold. Well, I was at my aunt's funeral in the freezing cold. And her passing brought back memories of growing, uh, growing up in her home, of just, just being there when I'm not at my dad's house. I was at her house because her son, um, my oldest cousin on my dad's side, was, was a close, close friend of mine. Her husband, one of the happiest guys I knew, was actually from Hawaii, and he passed away in the mid-1990s. 
She never remarried, so she died as a widow. At the funeral, during the message and, and during the eulogy, eulogy, what was expressed about the, uh, the highlights of what she was experiencing now in the afterlife is that she was going to see my uncle. That was the bulk of what was expressed and shared during uh, those times on the mic. And that's so romantic, isn't it? Isn't that so romantic? She passes away, and now she's going to see her long-lost husband. Well, here's the problem with that story. Where's Christ? I was sitting there listening to story after story, and the question that remained and lingered in my mind was, where's Christ? Much of what was shared was not the surpassing greatness of Christ. And yet that is what we are supposed to see. Uh, in, at First Baptist Church of Haleiwa, we've been going through the gospel according to Matthew, and Matthew has labored to show us the greatness of Christ because it's the greatness of Christ which leads to, to worship, to worshiping God. And up to this point here in Matthew 9, up to this point of the book, we see that when Jesus Christ was born into this world, you remember what happened? A star appeared in the night sky, leading the wise men from the east to seek him out. And then what did they do when they found Jesus? It says they fell down and worshiped him. When Jesus Christ delivered the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of that sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, Matthew 7, 28. And that word for astonished means that they were exceedingly struck in their minds. They were marveling at Jesus after hearing him. And this continues when Jesus Christ heals, cleanses, and stills a storm. The people marvel at Jesus. So to miss out on the greatness of Christ ultimately is to miss out on worship. That's why that matters. He doesn't want us to miss that, so this is why Matthew brings up the greatness of Christ from so many different angles. And we're not supposed to live lives, have funeral services, or even have church Sunday services where Christ is not Great, where Christ is not the object of faith, hope, and love. When we gather like this, and not just on Sundays, but throughout the week in our own personal lives, Christ is to be supreme. Christ is to be the greatest. If that's the case, that Christ is less. If you leave this morning's service thinking what a great preacher Pastor Amel is. You're probably not going to think that. But let's just say that you do. If that's the case, then I failed. Because that doesn't change your life. Being in front of a dynamic, wonderful, great, gracious, personable preacher, that doesn't change your life. We're supposed to have a deeper sense of the greatness of Christ. And I hope that's what you want this morning. The angle this morning from Matthew is that when it comes to your sin, Christ is greater. That's the angle Matthew is coming in with this morning. We know that's the case on the cross. We know that Jesus Christ 
is greater than our sins when, he see him, when we see him dying on the cross, right? Providing the way for forgiveness. And of course, death could not hold him. He rose, right, from the dead. We, we see the greatness of Christ in those dynamic stories of the cross and the resurrection. We know that he's, he's greater. But Jesus says, or Matthew says here, that he's greater than your sin even before the cross. You see the timing here? In Matthew 9, the cross hasn't even happened yet. It hasn't even taken place. And yet, he's already greater than your sin. Interesting, huh? He forgives sins before he even died for sin. Do you see how great Christ is? He didn't need to die first to give you forgiveness. He does it before he dies. Why? Because he's great, you see. So dear church, behold, the one who even forgives sins. And if you're taking notes, the points are very simple. We're going to see the scene, what's going on here, the lesson, what are we supposed to learn here, and the response. How are we supposed to live as a result of this lesson? We want to learn what God wants us to learn. So verses 1 and 2, the scene, we'll start with that. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus went back to Capernaum, which is where he was at the beginning of Matthew 8. Now, what's the significance of this? This means that the disciples went back with Jesus through the same waters where they experienced the raging sea back in Matthew 8, 24. And this is one of those things where you just have to understand the greatness of Christ even in that step of faith to step on a boat. In, in Matthew 8, 25, in this raging sea, these experienced fishermen were scared for their lives. And they say, they cried out to Jesus, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And there's a lot of faith involved in what the disciples are doing, following Jesus back through those waters where they experience that, that trauma, that, that such a traumatic event. Something happened at a certain place or something happened with certain people here. Whether it be some location, some relationship, or some incident, if you think about your life, we have gone through stuff. The older you get, the more of those traumatizing things or those, 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 those frustrating things or troubling times, you, you begin to collect those kind of stories. Well, Jesus got on the boat and his disciples followed him back through the same place where they felt they almost lost their life. And that takes faith in a Christ who is great. And let us not miss the greatness of Christ instilled in the disciples' minds as they got on the boat. His greatness shadows the trauma of our experiences. You know, when I was in, in high school, my parents divorced. 
my mom, she had a tough time with my dad. Well, my mom, just a few short months ago, became a Christian. I mean, she became a Christian, and I couldn't believe it, because why would God save this woman? How could God save this? This woman is unsavable, Lord. Well, God saved my mom. And the first, one of the first things my mom did was she shared the gospel with my dad, the one person she couldn't stand, the one person she needed to get away from. Christ so saved her and has so put it on her heart to have pity, to, to have this heart of grace towards this man, right? I mean, when you follow Christ, his greatness shadows the trauma of our experiences. Why would she do that? Because Christ is great, you see? Why would these disciples step on the boat to go back through those waters that scared them so much where they almost felt like they lost their lives? Because Christ is great. Is he great to you? Is he great to you this morning? Would you really follow him anywhere? Would you go where he calls you to go? Would you do what he tells you to do? Does the glory and greatness of Christ compel you to gladly and joyfully obey him? The disciples followed Christ even back through those troubled waters, or at least the memory of it. They followed Christ, and so should you. Now, upon arriving to Capernaum, there was a paralytic man brought to Jesus. As a paralytic, he could not walk. He had to be carried to Jesus. Jesus saw something about these people that we must not miss also. It says he saw their faith. He saw their faith. Upon seeing their faith, Jesus is able to say something confidently to the paralytic. And this is a great display of the glory of Christ. Your sins are forgiven. And this scene causes somewhat of a stir, but don't get distracted with the stir or what seems to be a controversy that Jesus Christ causes this man to walk eventually. Pay attention to the greatness of Christ, the true greatness of Christ here. We don't want to miss the lesson. We don't want to miss out on seeing the greatness of Christ, which ushers us into a right and proper worship of God. We want to learn the lesson. So what's the lesson? The lesson is forgiveness. The lesson is not healing. The lesson is forgiveness. What is forgiveness? The word forgiveness means to set free. In verse 2, Jesus says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. The forgiveness that Jesus speaks of there is being set free from sin because sin imprisons people. So it is not a generic forgiveness, but a specific forgiveness of sins. When you sin, the Bible says you become slaves of sins. It chains you to, to, uh, to, to be down, imprisoning you, as it were, and making you a prisoner of darkness. Sin leads to death, making then a death sentence for anyone imprisoned therein. And I think it's no accident that this forgiveness is granted to a paralytic, which I believe is picturing something for us. When it comes to sin, you're like a paralytic. 
paralyzed from the ability to do anything about it. This paralytic person needed people to bring him to Jesus because he couldn't do it. What a picture of our predicament of sin. We are unable, we are incapable of doing anything about our sins. What a picture. And yet it is this paralytic who gets the forgiveness that no one could ever earn for themselves. How is that? Well, what did Jesus see? Their faith. The people bringing the paralytic and the paralytic himself. Through faith. Faith in Christ leads to the forgiveness of sins that no one could ever earn for themselves. Jesus saw their faith. Well, what is forgiveness then? Forgiveness is a great gift of grace that God gives to people of faith that frees them from the death grip of sin, which they could never, ever do for themselves otherwise. So what can we learn about forgiveness? If you look there in verse 2, it says, take heart. Take heart which literally means take courage. And take note of what's being communicated here. Immediately after it says your your, your sins are forgiven, it doesn't say you may now walk. Because again, the point is not healing. The person is still paralyzed. You understand that? When Jesus grants the forgiveness he is still incapable of walking. What we need to learn about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness puts life in perspective. Forgiveness puts life in perspective. If you're a paralytic, take heart, it's fine. Because your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say that after he walks. Because it's not in the walking that makes us okay with God. It's in the forgiveness. Do you understand that? What life situation are you in where perhaps you feel paralyzed? Is there anything about your life where you feel helpless and needy? Maybe you're not a paralytic. But let me tell you, if you are in Christ, whatever dilemma, whatever crisis, whatever trouble you find yourself in, whatever situation you are going through, take heart. Because If you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't that put life in perspective? Oh, I'm going through this tough time, but praise God, I'm forgiven. Oh, I'm going through this thing in my life right now, but praise God one day, I'm going to be with him because what? I'm forgiven. You see how forgiveness puts life in perspective? Jesus tells this man, this paralytic, not even walking yet, still unable to walk, take heart. You're forgiven. 
You see how forgiveness puts life in perspective? We need to learn this lesson about forgiveness. Do you have forgiveness? Don't fret. Don't worry. Sure, you got to do whatever it is you, you need to do. If you got to pay bills, pay the bills. There's those worldly responsibilities we need to keep up with. But they don't get to dictate your joy. They don't get to trump your happiness. See, Christ and the forgiveness we have in Christ, it puts life in perspective. And I hope you have that perspective this morning. If you're in Christ, you're okay. The greatness of Christ is such that no matter the situation, no matter the situation, you can take heart because of the forgiveness he granted you. Isn't our Savior great? He's so awesome. Well, in verse 3, we learn more about forgiveness. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? So what can we learn about forgiveness there? When you do not have faith, you are not forgiven. Notice in verse 3, these people say that Jesus is blaspheming. Which means what? They don't have faith. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that what Jesus says is true. And that's a contrast to what we saw in verse 2. Jesus saw their faith, whereas here there is no faith. These scribes, they don't think that Jesus can forgive sins. That's no faith. They don't believe. They have right theology in thinking that only God forgives sins. That's good theology. God forgives. God forgives. Yes, he does but they have misplaced theology, not recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God or that Jesus is the Messiah whom the Father has given authority to forgive sins. This is why it is unacceptable to believe anything less about Jesus than what the Bible says about him. You don't take the Bible and believe less. You don't, believe, you don't take the Bible and believe past the Bible. You let the Bible be the Bible and be the authority. You don't do that stuff, right? He's the eternal son of God who became a man to be a Messiah, the one sent by God to forgive sins and die for sins so that we might be saved. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus calls their lack of faith, get this, evil. To not have faith, Jesus connects that to evil. Whoa, that's heavy. Jesus holds them responsible when he says, why do you think evil in your hearts? See, believing in Jesus, get this, is a heart issue. That's not philosophy in your mind. That's the attitude of your heart. It's not a technical thing, some book, some newfound knowledge. No, it's an it's a issue of the heart, Jesus says. So, when you don't believe in him, it's because in your heart you don't believe in him. Not philosophically. Maybe that's there. Not, not in your mind only. 
but it's because in your heart you don't believe in him. Get this, to not believe in Jesus is an evil thought. Whoa. Whoa. Because if you're here this morning, that should punch you in the gut. If you don't believe in Jesus, you are harboring, you are keeping, you are holding tight to to evilness right here. That's quite deep. Wow. And so the question is, are you harboring wickedness in your heart? And now if that's not startling enough, think about this. Because that's quite startling, don't you think? Verse 4. Jesus knows your thoughts. And back in verse 2, Jesus can see your faith if you have it. Forgiveness is a very private, personal, and intimate act that Christ is able to discern from within each and every person. You can fool me. You can fool the person right next to you. But there's no fooling Christ. He knows what's in your heart. He knows whether or not you believe in him. You know, I pastored here for five years. Apparently, it's been like six years. (laughs) And (laughs) all I ever wanted for you and still want for you, because I still pray for Hawaii Kai Church, all I ever wanted for you and want for you is to enjoy the forgiveness found in Christ. That's what I labored for during my time here. That's what the pastors and the elders labor for who are still here. This is what they want for you. They want you to enjoy forgiveness, to face all these things that life can throw at you and still be okay. And you know, some of you do. Some of you have this. But would the possibility shock you that not all of you do? And I don't know. This is a private matter. Like I said, forgiveness is personal. It's an intimate matter. And so all I can say is come to Jesus if you haven't already. Come to him if you haven't already. Turn from your sins. Believe in him, and he'll save you. Now, how does forgiveness exalt Christ? Because that's what Matthew's trying to do. He's trying to show you how great Christ is. In other words, how does forgiveness forgiveness show that Christ is great? How does it glorify and magnify him? Well, verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home, and he rose and went home. Jesus did not have to prove anything here. Do you guys understand that? He didn't have to do that. He doesn't have to prove himself, how great he is. So you're going to have to ask yourself, why does Jesus do this? Why does he go past the forgiveness of this man and then go rise him from the dead when he's already okay? Why does he have to do that? Why does he pivot to our lack of faith? 
and say that you may know. It's so that you who are unbelieving can believe. He does this for you. He doesn't want you to stay in your sin. He wants you to be free. He wants to save you. He wants you to know the forgiveness he offers and that he alone can give it. What Jesus does here is he stoops to our level to help us see who he really is. It's like the child who asked the pastor, Pastor, can you tell me what is eternity? The pastor says, I can, but it will take me forever. Seeing the child's desire to really know what it means, he stoops over and says, you know how my sermons feel like forever? <laughs> Eternity is a lot longer than that. Well, in the same way, Jesus stoops to our level to answer the question, which is easier? Which is easier? Forgiveness or to have this man walk? Which is easier? And of course, the answer is to have this man walk, right? It is harder to forgive sins. And yet he did that in verse 2, but it was not well received in verse 3. So Jesus stoops to our level to help us see in verse 6. What an amazing Savior to stoop down for me. Do you marvel that Jesus did not stop at your unwillingness and hardness to receive him? Are you thankful this morning that Jesus stooped to your level so that you would not miss his greatness, so that you would not stay in your sins? What an amazing Savior that he would stoop. Jesus performs the lesser deed to have this paralytic man walk. He performs the lesser deed because that's all our weakness can handle. You understand? That's why he stoops. He doesn't stoop because we're so great. He doesn't make this man rise up because of something great in us. No, there's a weakness, a deficiency in us that Jesus would go above and beyond. For Christ to take the time to show this to you, to perform a miracle, to make this obvious to you and plain to you means that forgiveness of sins is something he wants you to know. He wants you to know that he can forgive you. Forgiveness exalts Christ, which leads you to him as the only one who can deliver you. What this means is that all that matters in all of life for us to know is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah through whom we can be forgiven of our sins. All other problems are lesser, which he can easily deal with if he wanted to. But our biggest problem of sin, he can deal with as the one who forgives sin. So here's the response in verse 8. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God <clears throat> who had given such authority to men. Here's the response. Fear God and glorify him. That's the response. 
Some of you may have listened to this sermon today and said, I already know that. I already know, Jesus, God forgives sins. I've already heard that or I've read this text so many times. You know, sometimes my kids say that. This is why I bring up this point. My kids grew up in church. I, I know nothing of what it means to be my kids because my kids grew up, I mean, basically in church from day one. And I, I didn't become a Christian until later on in life. So I don't know what it's like to be them. And sometimes they'll tell me, I go, hey, what did you think of the sermon? Ah, oh, Dad, I already know that. I go like, okay, so then what? Like, okay, you already know that, so what does that do for you? I don't know, I've heard it so many times. Is that you this morning? Have you heard about forgiveness so many times? You're the expert on forgiveness? Here's my question for you. Does a stooping, not stupid, stooping, S-T-O-O-P-I-N-G, does a stooping, loving, merciful, gracious, kind Savior move you? Ah. I don't care about what's in your head. What's going on here? Does it move you this morning? Or has the text of Scripture become so familiar that it no longer comes with awe and wonder at the great God to whom we must all answer. Notice how the people respond when they see this about Jesus. They were afraid and they glorified God. Does this kind of Savior move you this morning? Dear friend, if you don't know him today, he is ready and able to save you. He has stooped to make it clear to you that he alone forgives Come to him today. He will set you free from the bondage of sin. He will set you free from the consequences of sin. And even more, he will set you free from the guilt of sin. He will set you utterly free. Trust him. And dear church, that's why we love him. That's why we serve him. And that's why we worship him. Let's pray. Dear God, this morning we honor you. We give you our best. You deserve nothing less. I pray that a text like this about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would move your people to be the people you've called us to be, to be the people who are lights in this dark world, who are ambassadors for you. Make it our joy, Lord, to serve you with all that we are. We love you, we worship you, and pray these things now in Jesus Christ.